from this to this. This is Livable City, a regular podcast guiding us on a journey to more human places. I'm your host, Jim Hodap. I'm excited you're here to learn, to listen, and to lead. Hey everyone, welcome back to Livable City. I'm Jim Hodap. I'm feeling really relaxed and energized after a week away from home, spending time with my girlfriend and her family for Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S. I also just saw the new Mr. Rogers movie the other night called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which really moved and inspired me. Even though Mr. Rogers and his show were primarily geared towards young children, I was still struck at how applicable his message is to we who want to make our neighborhoods better. Mr. Rogers did as well. His message is a personal one of inner emotional change, which I believe would have profound impacts on where we all live. The only thing standing in our way is choosing to live a little bit more like Mr. Rogers day by day. Anyway, I highly recommend this movie. Go see it, take some time to let it sink in, and be deeply impacted by it. For today's episode, my guest is Michael Schneider of a nonprofit group called Streets for All in Los Angeles, California, which he founded. It was so much fun talking with Michael, learning more about his efforts to rethink and improve the way streets and transportation are done in LA. Michael had a moment where he woke up and realized we don't need to live this way in LA. It's a completely fabricated system that permeates always being stuck in the worst traffic congestion in the US and some of the most polluted air. As you'll hear Michael mention, breathing LA air is like smoking four and a half packs of cigarettes per day per person. Listen very closely for Michael's advice, like channeling your frustrations not into complaining, but into figuring your place out. Who do you need to meet with to understand your place? And why is it the way it is? Why is the local culture the way that it is? What are the things that you need to first deeply understand before diving into changing them? We are here to lead people into a vision of change, not force them into it. Remember that. I want to highlight how important it is as we engage in conversation and seek to know the people we live around that we don't leave them with a negative impression. We all don't need more negativity in our lives. So work to listen, question, learn about, and then lead people into a new vision of what your place could be like and share in that vision together with them. Now on to my conversation with Michael. Michael, welcome to Livable City, and thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yes. Yeah, so uh, to start out with, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your work advocating for better city streets in Los Angeles? Sure. I'll start off by saying I am a very weird Angelino. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, and yet for the last seven years... I have only gotten around town using my bicycle. So this is uh, known as a car town for good reason. And I grew up loving cars, driving cars, couldn't wait to get my driver's license, et cetera. But for a variety of reasons, about seven years ago, I decided to go car free and have really never looked back. And the more you cycle around Los Angeles, you can't help but notice the nearly year-round perfect weather and the relatively flat topography And the fact that most places are not too far to bike, that's a common misconception that it's too busy to make it a town that um, using a bicycle would be useful. But actually half the trips in LA County are under three miles. So um, I live a life free of traffic, free of gridlock. I always get free VIP parking and I'm never stuck in traffic and never late because it's rush hour. So um, I would say it's pretty atypical, but it is a hell of a way to live, and I've been enjoying it for the last seven years. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, what, what's, what's a bicycle when you're talking about L.A., right? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I get a lot of weird looks. Um, my wife thinks I'm crazy half the time, but I could not <laughs> imagine it any other way. And I, I have to be honest, I mean, I'm not anti-car, but I will tell you that when I see people drive a mile to get something from the grocery store and come back, or I see people at rush hour just stuck in gridlock and the, the tension is it's palpable. I mean, you could, you could feel it. Um, just flying past them and not having to worry about parking yeah, feels absolutely. like a magical hack. Yeah, I, I love that when I'm biking around Chicago too, right? And like a city also known for gridlock. And it's like, you know, sometimes you just need to do a friendly wave to the people stuck in traffic. Yes, they have my sympathies. (laughs) Um, So how did you take uh, this newfound love for bicycles and avoiding gridlock 
And how did you get to advocating for better city streets for LA? So that was a process. I am a entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur. I've started a number of startups over the last 20 years or so. And so being an entrepreneur, I'm not very good at seeing a problem and not trying to solve it. And so as I started biking, initially it was just um, really focused on me and me getting around town, the benefits to me. And then as I started just getting more and more comfortable with it, I started wondering, well, why is it just me? Why, why is, why is my girlfriend or at the time or wife now or friends? Why don't they live this way? And what I realized is that most people hate traffic. Most people care about fighting climate change. Most people would agree with the statement that our streets should be safe for all modes of transportation, not just cars, but, um, they really aren't. And Los Angeles is one of the worst offenders. Uh, we have less than 1% of the city that commutes by bike. It is predominantly male. And guys are usually more reckless than women in general, uh, you might say. And, and that certainly applies to cycling. And so um, unless you're a brave male most of the time in Los Angeles, you're too scared to get on a bike and go around town. And that's tragic. So um, it was about... Two years ago, I was—I uh, had my, at the time, two-year-old on the bike with me, and a car passed us going fairly high speed and left about three inches to spare instead of three feet. And there's a whole different level of anger and frustration around the condition of cycling in Los Angeles when that happens and when your kid's on the bike with you. Oh, I can only imagine. And I just had it. Yeah. Yeah, it was not fun. And I, I just had it. I, I was like, we don't need to live this way. We have some of the most overbuilt streets in the world. We have overbuilt parking lots all over town. Um, we are choking on our own air half the time. Just by living in Los Angeles, you're smoking 4.2 cigarettes a day just by breathing. Wow. And so I just got fed up with it. And so it was, it's been over the last year or so, I decided to start at Ground Zero and try to determine why the city was the way it was, and then how to change it. And so I did a lot of coffees and lunches and phone calls. I talked to people both inside and outside of government, inside the Department of Transportation, all over the place. And I concluded a few things. Number one, um, it really comes down to the city council. There are 15 council members that basically run Los Angeles. There is a mayor, but it really comes down to the individual council members. Each, each council member oversees about a quarter million people. So they oversee more people than most towns in America. They are paid more than members of Congress. And they are accountable once every four years to, um, the, elect- to, the, their, um, to the voters. But in general, incumbents kind of stay, and they can stay for up to 12 years with term limits. So what we have as a city, oh, and, and the last thing I'll say is generally the people that vote are usually older, whiter, wealthier um, citizens of Los Angeles. And so the city council doesn't look very representative of the city. It looks like it would if only older white people voted, more conservative people usually. And that's a problem. Um, Our city council loves to call themselves environmentalists, but they don't do much to get cars off the road. Our mayor loves to say he's going to lead the charge of a Green New Deal for cities. But again, he doesn't lead by example. He doesn't put any pressure whatsoever on the city council to actually make changes to the streets. And so what we have is politics at its worst. We have people that are elected saying things that sound good and then refusing to deal to uh, put up a fight against the status quo and actually change, change things around here. So I realized that. The second thing I realized is culture. You can't just change the people sitting in city council. You have to change culture and the way people think about this. Most people assume that streets are enshrined in concrete. It can never change. Um, The bus has a weird stigma in Los Angeles. Being on a bicycle is probably associated more with people biking because they can't afford a car. Um, There's all sorts of stereotypes and stigmas, and that's why we have what we have, which is people driving um, all the time for everything. And so I I founded Streets for All as a way to both make a real attempt to change the city council and support people running for office that agree with our values and to do a 
just a marketing blitz of storytelling to people. Not trying to convince them to ditch their car or use a bicycle, but just to be more open-minded about the way they get around, to realize the connection between transportation and climate change, to realize the connection between living near transit and dense housing around transit. Um, it's kind of all connected. And so Streets for All is both an agent for political change, trying to change who's in office, as well as culture change in Los Angeles. And uh, we also focus on specific projects to demonstrate that culture change. That is so awesome. Yeah. Kudos for you for stepping up on that. Really, it's 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 quite noble of you and quite uh, laudable. Um, so as you as you got started in this and, and you've been on this journey and, and you started that you started that this year, right? Yeah, so Streets for All, uh, the website is only about a month and a half old. We're very new. I've been organizing behind the scenes for longer than that, but our public face mm-hmm. is quite new. Perfect, yeah. Uh, so as you've been on this journey, um, you've had a lot of conversations. As you said, you had coffee with so many people. How has this changed you as a person and your viewpoint on things? So you started off with with something that you felt needs to change. I'm sure it's evolved along the way. So what does that look like? So when I started, I really, everyone was very focused on, well, let's change this one street here or this one street over there. And I didn't want to buy into that. I I looked at this and said, well, this doesn't make any sense. We really need a holistic solution. And so when I looked at it, I, I first went to the city level. But if you know Los Angeles, you'll know that there's the city of Los Angeles. And then there's the city of West Hollywood, the city of Culver City, the city of Beverly Hills, and the city of Santa Monica. And most people couldn't tell you where those cities start and stop. They're not always obvious. So when I looked at this, I said, all right, so it shouldn't just be the city of LA. It should be LA County because that encompasses all of those cities. But then I realized that the county doesn't really have much say or power to change things at the city level. I looked at Metro, which is the countywide organization that runs our buses and trains and thought they'd be a great partner, but Metro doesn't actually control the roads. They have to ask permission from the city and get uh, things approved by cities. So at the end of the day, um, I went from trying to find an overall holistic solution to really focusing on the city of Los Angeles. If you look around, the city of Santa Monica is probably the best example of progress and multimodal transportation in the area. They're They're doing a really, really great job. Uh, Culver City is not far behind. Uh, West Hollywood's pretty good. Even Beverly Hills, which is historically very uh, conservative, is about to pass a very progressive complete streets plan with a lot of uh, bike infrastructure. Not as much bus infrastructure as they should have, but a lot of bike infrastructure. So when I looked around, I narrowed it down to the city of LA, and it actually made me more optimistic than anything because. The other thing that I did, uh, in addition to starting Streets for All, is I ran for my neighborhood council. L.A. has 99 neighborhood councils, and um, mine is called Mid-City West. It's between Beverly Hills and La Brea. I ran for and was elected to it, and I chair our transportation committee. And I also got myself appointed to the Bicycle Advisory Committee. Um, That's a mayoral board with one rep from each council district and then four from the mayor's office, so 19-person board. And so by doing those different things, including Streets for All, I really now, I think, have a good sense of how change happens. It is very democratic, but if you can uh, lead people and convince them to try new things and get community support, the council members in general will go along with what the community wants. And a lot of the things that we want are very inexpensive. Some of them don't cost any money at all. Some of them are just uh, pennies on the dollar compared to other projects in the city. And I really do think that uh, change can happen, and it can happen pretty quickly. So would you say um, one of the impacts on you personally has been maybe a, a newfound trust that change is possible? Yes, with the caveat that it things can move unbelievably slowly, frustratingly slowly sometimes. But overall, I am more optimistic than when I started because I think I have a better sense of actually how to get things done Compared to when I started, it was just blue sky and blind optimism. Now it's a more educated optimism. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners, I want to point out and highlight that um, you know you basically started with a personal frustration that you decided it was um, something you had to take action on. Right? You were personally motivated to see if you could uh, actually move the needle a bit on it, 
And so what did you do? You basically just started having conversations with people and you learned and you got involved and you educated yourself, right? Yes. And, and I knew that I was not going to be the smartest guy in the room with this stuff. And so I, I listened much more than I talked and people, people seem to not just ask basic questions sometimes. I think this applies to a lot, not just these topics, but you know, I would ask basic questions like what, what's holding up a bus lane on this street or why does that elected official say they're an environmentalist, but not actually uh, do anything to get cars off the road. And I, I would just ask very basic questions about the current condition. And depending on who you were talking to, sometimes get very honest answers that really help you understand the situation. That's fantastic. Cause I think most people get stuck in just commenting on various uh, websites online and they get frustrated, right? They like ask their council member on Twitter or something, can we have this? Can we have a bus lane? And they probably never hear back from the council person because they're way too busy to be on Twitter answering questions. And uh, you actually went in front of them and asked them, and you got honest answers. Yes, I spent time in the very beginning calling council offices. They'll, they'll take your call. They'll talk to you. They will answer questions. I also talked to county supervisor offices. I talked to LADOT. Um, again, these are public agencies and public elected officials. And so people should never be shy about calling an office and asking a question or even going in and asking a question. They are there to answer you. Uh, I think sometimes there's this sort of invisible barrier where people feel intimidated or like there has to be some official appointment or something for them to go in and see somebody. And it just doesn't at the local level. Yeah, myself included. I haven't been in Chicago living here for all that long. And, uh, you know, I did this in Indianapolis and yet I feel intimidated from scratch again in Chicago, right? So that's a great reminder even for myself to uh, just call the call my alderman and see what's possible. Absolutely. I encourage it. Um, so shifting uh, a little bit, I want to ask you a broader question, more of a philosophical question that I like to ask everybody. Uh, what do you think are the qualities of a place that make it very livable to you? I think a livable place is a place that you can safely go out of your home and do whatever you want to do, not feel threatened on the street, um, not, not have the air be so toxic that you have asthma or your kid has asthma, um, not be afraid to cross the street in some places. This is really basic human stuff. Um, I think the main reason I focus on transportation so much is it's a huge part of what makes a city livable. If you want to go to the grocery store, or if you want to go shopping, or if you want to go out to dinner, um, how you get there and how you get back really does matter. And if you think about it, um, it always amazes me if you're lucky enough to be able to travel to Europe uh, once or twice, and you people marvel at Europe's plazas and quaintness and cobblestone and narrow streets and they're tweeting about it and posting on instagram and they come back and say how wonderful and charming europe is but they don't demand the same changes in their hometown as as they appreciated so much in sort of the old world where they built those things in an era that it wasn't for the automobile and so when you think about that and you think about um, how charming and quaint an old city in Europe can be, there's no reason why something new needs to be have really wide streets, not enough trees, uh, filled with cars, be a traffic sewer, all these things that make our cities and towns, for the most part, uh, not as pleasant, not as livable, not as enjoyable to just walk around. So I really think that day-to-day -day life and how you get from point A to point B impacts livability. And uh, I'm a strong believer that if we are able to create change around the way we get around town, that impacts how livable and comfortable our city feels. Yeah, I completely agree. So I, I've had the good fortune to travel to Europe quite a bit um, for my, my day job, and I had the same kind of reaction. I would come home and like, you know, wonder at the time it was Indianapolis, right? Why can't Indianapolis uh, be more like Europe, right? It, has, it, it too has more narrow streets because it, it never really widened them too much, like, like some cities that have really taken off over the last 
you know, several decades. So why can't, why can't we just deprioritize cars and be more like Europe and it'll be beautiful and it'll have all these people want to come here and visit. Um, so I totally get that. Um, but there's a disconnect, I think, where you were touching on earlier before. Um, people don't know how to advocate for these changes that seem that just connect with their intuition, with, with their gut when they travel. And so part of what I'm trying to do here on this podcast is, um, you know, really help people feel motivated and feel like they can advocate for these changes. Um, and so it's fantastic to hear that, you know, your example of doing that in LA. Yeah, I really want to emphasize this. I am not an urban planner. I have no background in any of this stuff, no formal training. I'm just a guy that was sick of a city being addicted to the car and how unsafe and unreliable it was to get around by any way other than a car and decided I wanted to try to change it and really just started by asking questions. I'm not special. Anybody can do it in any part of the world. Just imagine if we all did that. You are such a good example. If we all did it, I mean, the other part of this is among my friend group, and I don't think this, they're unique, most people don't really pay attention to local politics. Most people don't really love politics in general, but if they do, they're paying attention more at the national level, maybe at the state level, but people don't really care or pay attention at the city level, is my experience, compared to the national level. And yet, it's the local level that impacts their day-to-day -day life the most. So just like, regardless of your whatever your national politics are, you can't deny that the House of Representatives in 2018 dramatically looks different than before. There's more women, there's more people of color, it completely, it's younger, it looks completely different if you compare it to the Senate, which is in general older and whiter. That's the same thing at the local level in Los Angeles. So if I could sum it up, I just need younger people in Los Angeles to get out and vote and realize that local elections impact their day-to-day -day life even more than who the president is, and that would change everything. And that applies to any town or city in America. Yeah, I completely agree. I came to the same realization myself when you know I became really tired of the way certain things are when I moved downtown Indianapolis, and I was I felt like I was under attack by cars as a pedestrian, and I was just so frustrated by that. Um, but the good thing is, just like you've discovered. Um, and I discovered back then too, if you just start doing something, you start connecting with some people, you can make some real change. Um, and you can do it directly, even without a vote. You can like volunteer your time. You can do what you were talking about, talking with your council person or alderman. And you can, you can get a local group of people together to care about something you can wrap your mind around, like a city block or a neighborhood or something like that. We can't wrap our brains around national politics very well, or even state-level politics, but local, absolutely, you can. I agree. And I just thought of a couple more things to answer your earlier question about what I think makes a city livable. Uh, how do you get your kids, let's say you have kids, how do you get your kids to and from school? Um, the the car drop-off and pickup line at schools is an American invention that's relatively recent, and it makes me a bit sad. <laughs> um, so can you walk your kid to and from school? Can you do it safely? Um, if it's hot outside, are there trees that shade you so you're not getting burnt while you're walking and it's kind of pleasant? Can you cross the street and not feel like you're running through a highway? I mean, th these are all little things, but uh, those are more examples, I think, of what makes a city livable. Can, can you hear nature? Uh, I was recently in New York City, and it happened to be the day that they uh, pedestrianized 14th Street and only now allow buses and delivery vehicles and bikes on 14th Street from the west side to the east side of Manhattan. And I could hear a bird sing on 14th Street in Manhattan, which is not usual. So That's remarkable. Can you, can you can you hear nature? Do you feel in touch with nature? Just because you live in a concrete jungle doesn't mean you also can't be in touch with nature. But when all we hear is honking cars or all we smell is the exhaust from vehicles, that really takes us away from nature and puts us into a place that A, isn't healthy, and B, isn't natural. Agreed, agreed. Um, so many people 
seem to love LA as it is today, congestion and all, because they love getting around by a car. But why does LA need to change, do you think? Well, LA has to change because we don't have any more room to widen roads. Um, the city in the last 10 years spent over a billion dollars to add a lane onto the 405, which I believe is the most congested highway in the country. And traffic is now worse than before they did the, the, the project. Um, for anyone that doesn't know the term induced demand, I hope they look it up. The short version is the more space you build for cars, the more cars will come. The more parking places you build, the more cars will park. And the reverse is also true. So LA is out of room to keep widening roads. There is no more space. If our population continues to grow, the city will just become less livable, more unpleasant, air pollution will get worse, childhood asthma will get worse, it's already one of the highest in the country, and instead of four cigarettes a day, we'll start smoking five and six and seven cigarettes a day until we're up to a pack. So we have to change. This city is becoming unlivable, untenable at rush hour, and it's costing the economy $16 billion a year, B, billion with a B, it's a lot of money. And it just makes people's lives unpleasant. So for health reasons, for livability reasons, for climate change reasons, um, for just practical reasons, like not being late to everything, the city has to change. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also, um, you know, if you think about like the current controversy around um, President Trump, right, and he, him trying to change the um, California's ability to set its own emission standards for cars and, and other vehicles. Um, if LA took um, transportation into their own hands and changed it so that everybody didn't have to drive, well, then all of a sudden that point becomes um, uh, less relevant, right? You wouldn't care about the change that President Trump or, or any federal any uh, federal government. Yeah, I think, I mean, cities already done this to a large degree when President Trump announced that he was withdrawing the U.S. from the Paris Climate Accord. This is maybe a year ago, year and a half ago. Um, cities came together, some of the largest cities in the country, which are generally in bluer, more democratic parts of the country, and said, no, we're still going to push forward with our plans because it's the right thing to do. California as a state has been very much like that too. So it's absolutely true. If, if the nation's 20 largest cities uh, reduce their emissions and change the way people get around, that will uh, in, uh, in and of itself have a massive impact on the U.S. effect on uh, combating climate change. Um, so on your website, streetsforall.org, um, you've got, a f uh, I think it was four different things laid out, four uh, high-level things that you'd like to see changed about L.A., to make it more livable, to change it. What, what are those, those top things that, that you would say LA needs to do? Sure. So there, there are four areas. The first thing is a network of dedicated bus lanes. Why is that important? Well, today, the bus has a stigma in LA um, for, for a few reasons, some of which are more legitimate than others. But the biggest problem with the bus is it's so slow. Um, it takes by bus anywhere between 20% more time, if it's very direct and you're lucky, to over an hour more to do the same route compared to a car. And the reason for that is the bus gets stuck in traffic with all the other cars, and it also makes stops. So that combination makes it much slower. The other problem with the bus is the headways. Um, some buses run every 10 minutes, but some buses run once an hour. And if you miss the bus, you've got to wait another hour or figure out how to get there a different way. So with a network of dedicated bus lanes, which honestly is just paint, it's very inexpensive to do, and it's also enforcement. Law enforcement needs to uh, ticket and tow private automobiles in the bus lanes. But if you do those two things, yes, it's taking away space from private cars, but it moves so many more people per hour and makes buses a much more attractive option compared to private cars, especially in rush hour. If people driving in a car see a bus go flying past them in rush hour day after day, at some point, a good percentage of those people are going to look up and say, I want to be on that bus. I'm tired of traffic. So a dedicated network of, of uh, I'm sorry, a network of dedicated bus lanes is hugely important. The second one is dedicated and protected space for mobility lanes. 
I'm not calling them bike lanes because we want scooters to be part of the conversation too. And so what happened in Los Angeles, I don't, for those that don't know the history, is our former mayor, Antonio Villaraigosa, went to Copenhagen and got inspired by cycling. He came back to Los Angeles and decided to try biking around. He fell on Venice Boulevard and broke his elbow. And as a result of that accident, he committed the city to building, I think it was 150 miles of bike lanes at that time. It should not take someone's blood or or pain <laughs> to cause action, but unfortunately it sometimes does. So under our last mayor, uh, Los Angeles did that, and we did build a lot of bike lanes. However, we only built them where they fit. So we didn't look at a map and say, where do people actually need to go, and how do we get them from point A to point B? We said, oh, this street's a little bit wider than it needs to be, so let's paint a bike lane on it and call it a day. So LA has a very incomplete non-network of bike lanes, most of which are not protected. And if you want to get an everyone, everyone from an eight-year-old to an 80-year-old cycling, you've got to protect them from traffic and you actually have to make it a network. So the good part doesn't just stop after an, a mile and then turn into a traffic sewer and you're sort of fighting for your life. So um, the second thing is uh, protected mobility lanes all over the city. The third thing is pedestrian improvements, which includes the curb. So we want more scramble crosswalks where the traffic is stopped on all four directions and pedestrians can cross all at the same time. We also want the city to redistribute curb space. If you think about the rise of Uber, Lyft, and Amazon over the last 10 years, it's uh, exponential. And yet cities have not redistributed curb space to add more loading zones. So as a result, Uber, Lyft, FedEx, UPS, you name it, are fighting double parking sometimes, sometimes blocking crosswalks, sometimes blocking bike lanes to deliver or pick up goods and people. Um, I don't blame them. We want commerce to function in a city. What I do blame is the city for not painting more loading zones at the expense of private car storage. So we think that's really important. And the last thing is micromobility. We love scooters. We think they're here to stay. We think they need dedicated places on the road, dedicated places to pick up and drop off so there's no clutter. And we think they're a real part of the conversation, especially for first mile, last mile. Yeah, that's a great list. It, it makes a lot of sense. Really, all of our cities in the U.S. could use exactly what you just laid out for L.A. Um, so how do, you think, um, how do you think L.A. gets there? How do you get to, to the vision you just painted? Well, we have a sort of two-pronged approach on our website, and I talked about it a little bit before. Um, part of what we're doing is we're forming a PAC, a political action committee. And in California, they're called independent expenditures. I'm going to be able to legally raise an unlimited amount of money and spend an unlimited amount of money in support of candidates running for city hall that share these values. So that's, that is the, the, the most important thing. If we change the city council, we can change the city very, very quickly. So on our website, we've already endorsed two candidates that are running in 2020. <clears throat> I also want to point out I don't know if this is happening in other places around the country, but in Los Angeles, voters a couple of years ago voted to sync Los Angeles' city elections with the federal election timetable. So that's really important, as opposed to, again, mostly older, white, more conservative homeowners voting and paying attention to special elections, which is usually what city elections are. We're now going to have people that on the same ballot are going to vote for president and a city council member. That is a huge difference. The electorate's probably going to be eight or nine times as big, much more diverse, many more women, many more people that would not pay attention to a city election normally, but they're going to just because they care about who uh, the president is. So 2020, this starts in 2020, and it's a huge opportunity to uh, switch up the city, the city council. Incumbents usually feel very protected and comfortable, but it, not this time because of this change. Um, so there are seven city council uh, districts up for grabs next year, and there's eight more in 2022. And so we're just getting started. So we've endorsed two candidates for next year. We may add one more, but we're not going to probably endorse all seven because we're just going to be stretched too thin. We're new. But by 2022, I want to have a much larger organization and be a force to reckon with and make endorsements in all eight races and really put money and effort behind helping them win. 
So the political thing is a hugely important piece and one half of what we're doing. The other half is we're not sitting still in the meantime. Um, we have two events we're hosting this month. One is to pedestrianize Hollywood Boulevard along the Walk of Fame and make it much safer and pleasant for pedestrians as well as cyclists um, to use the street. And uh, it's closed about a third of the year anyway for movie premieres. So this would just sort of formalize it. Um, the second one is Venice Boulevard. For, the, for those that know the geography of Los Angeles, Venice Boulevard is a hugely important street. In the 1920s, LA had the largest urban rail network in the world. That's not, that is a fact, <laughs> in the world. And we successfully uh, dismantled it. Car companies got their way by the 1960s. Venice Boulevard used to have a red car, a streetcar, running in the middle of it. It's now a huge, wide street that's technically classified as a state highway. It's the only street in Los Angeles that goes from the ocean to downtown LA entirely in the city of Los Angeles. Every other street gets, cuts off, gets cut off by other cities. So we want to make sure that when the city repaves the street, it's made a complete street, that it has dedicated bus lanes, it has protected mobility lanes, it has pedestrian improvements. It's a very wide street so people can cross safely. And so pedestrianizing Hollywood Boulevard and making Venice Boulevard a complete street are the two big projects we're going to focus on for next year, in addition to the political stuff. That's fantastic. And for the local listeners to LA that this affects directly, um, they'll be able to find out more about this on your website. Is that right? Yes, of course. Uh, both events uh, that, that are coming up are listed there, and we're going to be adding more content on both projects, as well as before and after, so people can see exactly what we're, what we're proposing. Oh, that's awesome. Um, how do we take this conversation um, that you're having in LA and this applying to other cities more broadly, particularly in the US, but really a lot around the world? How do we take them from, you know, some people would say like, Michael, this sounds great or whatever, but it sounds pretty ideolo ideological or utopian. How do we take it and how do we show, um, I won't say the hard skeptics, but I'll say the, the, the people that are kind of on the fence, in the middle. How do we how do we show them that it's desirable and doable? By making it mainstream. So Streets for All is not a fringe group of people that are these weird cyclist people that just want some bike lanes. Or we're not um, also these weird people that just hate all cars. <laughs> we're neither one of those things. We are mainstream group of people that simply want a better way to live in a city that we love. So I think a lot of people share those values all over the world. And the fact that the climate crisis is in the news so often, thanks to activists like Greta Thunberg and others, is hugely helpful. It also makes me very sad, but it's really helpful to this cause. Uh, India this week is in the news because people can't see where they're going in New Delhi. Um, there are uh, The air quality is about 20 times worse than the worst air uh, the World Health Organization suggests it's safe for people to breathe. So uh, they're distributing gas masks to children going to school. The more things happen like this, people, people are going to get frustrated and fed up, and they're going to listen to people that maybe have a different path than a car for everybody for every single trip that they want to take, which is a huge problem and there's not enough space. So um, to, to put another slant on it, People who have heard the term road diet, where you make a road, um, you reduce the amount of space for cars on that road and put in something like a protected bike lane. Well, people don't really like diets. So I don't really like the term road diet. Maybe you don't want to be on a diet. People, I don't like the term traffic calming. Um, maybe you don't want to be calmed down, especially when you're late. And, um, and so I think a lot of this is about changing the narrative. Um, Waze, if you've ever used Waze to navigate around town, is hugely helpful, actually, because what Waze has successfully done is it's successfully taken quieter neighborhood streets and turned them into highways. And that's not what people signed up for when they moved into an apartment or bought a house on a particular street. So instead of saying road diet, what I pitch people is, hey, do you like Waze cut through traffic in your neighborhood? If you don't, why don't we put a diverter? Cars can only make a right turn here. But if you're a pedestrian or a cyclist, you can keep going straight. Um, that 
serves two benefits. Uh, two, um, yeah, two benefits. Uh, the first benefit is that it calms the street down, makes it much safer for you to cross the street, kids to play, walk to school, etc. Secondly, from a cyclist point of view, a calmer street is a much safer street to get around. So I'm having a lot of successful conversations with people around town that don't necessarily care at all about bikes, but they do care about calmer, lower stress streets and mitigating ways cut through traffic. And that's one example of where more conservative, um, more uh, kind of nimbyish arguments uh, really collide in a very positive way with what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's really well said. Um, so, of course, it's really important to vote. It's always important to vote um, as an individual in a city for your state, federal politics, etc. But outside of voting, why is it critical also to get involved and help evolve the place that you live directly? Well, no one else is going to do it. Um, I think that there's an apathy that people just think if there's a problem that someone else will just fix it. Um, you're walking down the street, you see a, a busted water main, you just keep walking because surely someone else is going to do the right thing or call or, or you know call the fire department or whatever. Um, and I think that kind of thinking is commonplace, too common among residents of a city. If you assume that your city can't really change, that your voice doesn't really matter, you don't even know where to start, and so you just kind of live in the status quo and, and grin and bear it, um, that's a sad state of affairs. So um, as compared to national or state-level elections and politics, every single resident of a city has a huge voice. The smaller the place is, the bigger their voice is. Mayors of small towns don't get that many calls or visitors from their constituents. Um, so if you live in a smaller town, I think you have an even greater opportunity to impact it. Here in Los Angeles, for example, the city of West Hollywood and the city of Culver City are very, very small compared to the city of Los Angeles. And they're much more accessible. You can Facebook friend the mayor of either city. The mayor of West Hollywood has his phone number on his Twitter profile. And if you text him or call him, you can get in touch. Um, so there's, there's a lot of benefits, actually, to uh, dealing with smaller places and your ability to impact them. Like I said before, I had a similar experience with Indianapolis, right? It's technically a 2 million person metro-wide city, but the city of Indianapolis, particularly the walkable place, is very small, very accessible, and I had the exact same experience. And the change on that happened to me in getting involved in that was profound. Um, meeting people, making new friends, um, some that I still talk to even though I don't live there. So I think uh, to piggyback on what you said, it's it's critical. I agree. <laughs> now, shifting gears a little bit um, and helping our listeners to get more involved, how would you advise them on how to get started doing something similar to what you're doing or, or they have their own issue that they're really, really passionate about in their local city? Where do they start? Start by asking questions. Um, most people assume that experts and I'm putting experts in quotes, do everything in a city and everything's really well thought out and thought through and, and put together for a reason. It's actually not true. You'll find that if you just start asking very basic questions of people that are either in power or staff members of people in power in a, in a city, um, there aren't always good answers. The reason why a project gets done or not, the reason why a street gets, re gets redone or not, are not necessarily always logical. And I don't agree with that. I would love it if, if politics was about making the best data, database decisions, but it's not. So just start asking questions, and there's no dumb questions, and try to understand why things are the way they are. And then once you understand that, decide what you want. What do you care about? Um, every city is unique. Los Angeles is blessed with great weather, but hardly any bike infrastructure. You compare it to a city like New York City, which the weather half the year is not great, and ha it, they have much better uh, bike infrastructure thanks to Mayor Bloomberg and Jeanette Sadiq Khan completely remaking the city in the last few years of Bloomberg's term. So um, if you live in a colder part of the world, maybe it's more important to focus on bus lanes and enclosed bus shelters than it is on bike lanes. But don't 
um, write bikes and scooters off in Europe, which doesn't have great weather half the year. A lot of Europe doesn't, especially Northern Europe. The cycling infrastructure is so great that in Copenhagen, over 60% of trips to and from the city center are made by bikes. And in winter, that's not a very friendly place to be, but people bike in the rain and the snow and they have plows and they make it safe and they sprinkle down salt and it's possible. So whatever, or maybe you live in a really hot part of the country or the world. And um, it's a totally different challenge. It's having enough water fountains. It's having enough shade and trees. It's, it's making sure people don't get heat stroke while they're trying to get around town. Um, again, maybe it's enclosed bus shelters with air conditioning. <laughs> Um, th- there's, there's always solutions. And so don't ever assume that your place is too big, too small, too hot, too cold. I've heard every excuse under the sun. Um, it's not unique. And there are parts of the world that are hotter than where you live, colder than where you live, bigger than when you live, smaller than where you live that have figured this out. Now, how about when you come up against opposition, um, be it, you know, the, the council person says, oh, that's impractical or, your neighbors are like, no, we like driving. What do, what do you do then? Um, I listen, and I try to educate with data. So one of the biggest things that I always hear is businesses don't want to remove parking in front of their place of business because they think that'll be the kiss of death and that they will just lose business. Yet there are studies time after time that show that for most businesses, people are not crossing town or driving 20 miles to get there. It's more of the community that patronizes the business. Let's take a coffee shop, for example. You're much more likely to leave your house and walk to the coffee shop than you are to drive 10 miles across town and need parking to go to the coffee shop. When you think about how much space a car takes up, let's say there are eight parking places on a city block and there may be five or 10 businesses on that city block. (coughs) Those eight parking places, at least in Los Angeles, it's usually one person per car, can serve eight people. If you fill up that same space with bikes, you're talking hundreds of people. If you fill it up with scooters, you're talking hundreds of people. If you have a loading zone, you're, you're encouraging people to do rideshare, Uber, and Lyft and get dropped off. And if you have a bus stop with a dedicated bus lane, again, every few minutes, depending on the headways, you could have 30 or 40 potential customers. So the, the logic is if you take away parking, you're going to lose business. The reality is that for most businesses, restaurants, coffee shops, dry cleaning, local stores, um, it's exactly the opposite. And because parking is so limited and so few people can take up that space, um, removing it is actually one of the best things they can do to boost their business. So <clears throat> I try to say things like that to people that tell me that they would never go to parking because it would cost their business. When they say they don't believe me, I'll pull up case studies. Um, there's a bunch in LA, actually, um, where that has actually happened and is true. And I'll, I'll try to use data and logic. It doesn't always work, but um, I think as long as you keep calm, stay logical, and use case studies and data, um, eventually you're going to win some people over because um, people do like believing in, in data and analytics, and that gives them a basis for what they believe in. Yeah, agreed. <clears throat> so as we come to a close on this conversation, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners you want to leave them with? Well, if you live in the L.A. area, go to streetsforall.org, sign up, get on our email list. If you have time, volunteer. We have a separate list for that. It's on the website. Uh, we need all the help that we, we can get. If you don't live in Los Angeles but you're inspired by this, I would encourage you to rip us off. Um, don't take our name, hopefully, <laughs> but take our ideas. Um, take our philosophies. Take our strategies. Take our content. Um, as opposed to the private business world where I don't want to be ripped off, I hope many, many people listening to this and whoever will listen to me in the future rip off these ideas. They're not my ideas. They're ideas that we've adopted after doing a lot of research and doing our homework, and they do work. And so I hope that if anyone's inspired anywhere in the world, they start their own version of Streets for All. They organize people. They find people that are sick and fed up with the status quo. They find people that have kids that are concerned about the air quality. They find people that are sick of sitting in traffic and want, some of them want a better way to live and not be sitting in traffic. And they do their own version of Streets for All. That would, nothing would make me happier. Agreed, yeah. So where can people find both you and your amazing work online? So it's streetsforall.org. Streets is plural, streetsforall.org. And then we are Streets for All on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 
And if someone wants to get in touch with me, it's just michael at streetsforall.org. That's awesome. I am so amazed by your work and inspired myself um, to even get busy and rip off your work for Chicago. So I'm going to get busy. Please do. <laughs> but <laughs> Please rip <it> off. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> but uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us on Livable City. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I think we should do it again. Great. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed having this conversation with Michael, and I hope that you did too. Just as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if this stirs up something in you and you have something in mind for your city or town that you want to change, that you feel like you're the right person to do the leading for this change, get started. Reach out to Livable City on our Twitter handle at livable underscore city or at the Facebook group, which again is linked to in the show notes for this episode. Our places desperately need all of us to get involved to affect change. The big takeaway that I got from my conversation with Michael is if we don't change it, and certainly if we're not voting, nothing is going to change. As you engage in lots of conversations with local people around you, including your neighbors, your council members or aldermen or whatever they're called in your town, you'll gain a lot of experience, you'll gain a lot of momentum, and it'll get easier and easier. And I bet you'll meet some other amazing people that will even become some of your friends. Even if you don't feel called yet to get involved in your local place and leading change, I'm so thankful that you joined us today again for this episode of Liberal City. Please make sure that you subscribe in your podcast player so that you don't miss any future episodes of Liberal City. Also, please take a moment to write a review for Liberal City. If you're enjoying this content and it's something that you find really valuable, just take that moment, write a quick review, what you think, and this will really help spread the news about Liberal City so that we can help affect change for so many more towns and cities around the world. If you have an idea for how to improve Liberal City or something you'd like to see us uh, feature on this show or in the community in general, please let me know. As always, I really appreciate everybody listening to this podcast, and I look forward to releasing the next episode to you in two weeks.